Ahoy, and welcome into another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health, treatment, how to get it, whatnot. I also am a therapist in private practice and a school social worker, so I go through some of the dilemmas that uh, some of my customers have been facing, giving no names or fake names to protect their anonymity. As always, I'm alongside my podcasting co-host, Mariska. She's feeling well. There's no cough right now. The weather's getting warmer, so she's enjoying little jaunts outside. So we're, we're ready for podcasting action today. At the start of this uh, episode, I wanted to make an apology. Some of my regular listeners are also some of my students. and I was telling a story about uh, something that a student went through, and I used the wrong pronouns. This is a student that I have known for a long time is uses he, him pronouns. And I used, when, I, when telling the story, I used she, her. And the student kind of just picked up from some of the details of the story. They're like, hey, I, I kind of think that story you told on the podcast was about me. And it just, it hurts a lot. But someone who knows me and who, you know, I struggle with thinking that people are ever going to see me how I see myself or how I want to be seen. And to have you tell the story, even though you didn't use names and you didn't do whatever, but it makes me feel like you don't see me in that way. And it, it's so hard for me to have confidence in this. And so it just really hurt. And I asked myself, gosh, why did I do that? Why didn't I? It's not like I was using names or anything like that. It's not like it mattered to the story, whether the person was male, female, gender non-binary or whatever. And I didn't have a good answer. So I didn't make any excuses. I just apologized. And I thanked them, him, for calling me out. Because there is no better gift a person that can give to you than when you've made a mistake and they call you on your mistake because it's the only way that you're going to get better. And I'm in this person's debt, I'm in his debt, because he could have just said nothing and been less close to me and moved on. But that would not have helped him because he deserved an apology. And that would not have helped me to be better at the things that I do. So your therapist, if you're working with one, your parents, your friends, anybody that you care about is going to make mistakes. And when you're that person and someone calls you out, your natural instinct may be to get defensive. I'm doing a lot of joining a bunch of Facebook groups for Pause for Patrick, uh, where I say, hey, I'm the mental health director for Pause for Patrick. We're an organization that tries to help young people with mental health issues get emotional support animals. And I just want to let people know you can reach out to us. We can help provide funding to get an animal. We can help um, to provide funding for training to get an animal. And uh, we can even help get a letter or an ESA letter. Well, a lot of people on these Facebook groups have pushed back and they said, you know, you got to be like online letters for ESAs are all trash and they're all scams. And they're skeptical of me because there are a bunch of things online. You can go online and look up and pay 150 bucks to get an ESA letter. And people who are passionate about emotional support animals are concerned that that's going to delegitimize true people needing an emotional support animal. And so they're coming at me and they're kind of saying like, hey, are you doing this legally? Are you doing this ethically? And I just respond back. If I, if I, if there's something I didn't know, I say, tell me more. I'm not offended that they're asking me. I'm not offended that people are skeptical because the organization is too good to be true 
Like, who gives stuff away for free? So people, that's fine. Be skeptical. If you are legit in what you're doing, it's okay to say, hey, if I mismarketed this, you know, because one of the things for getting an ENSA animal is the therapist, according to the law, has to have a relationship with the client they're writing the letter for. But the question is, and there is no legal answer for this, is it three sessions? Is it six months of work? Well, those might be best practice, but I may be able to feel I can make a relationship with someone in an hour. I mean, if I'm doing a private practice therapy session, I'm giving a person life advice or I'm giving them a diagnosis that's putting on an insurance form in way less time than that. So that's up to the ethics of the clinician who's writing that letter. The point being though, I shouldn't be afraid to stand up for the things that I do. And when I get criticism and feedback, I need to take it into consideration and realize I'm not perfect at anything that I do. And so I can always be better. And so that's where, but I can't be better if people are just saying, you know, talking behind your back and saying, oh, that person's a jerk or they're not taking things seriously or they're not being ethical. It's, I, I always prefer the criticisms come directly from the person. And I can't tell you how many students I have in my office who are ready, and we talked about this in the episode of how to fire your therapist. You know, they're ready to fire their therapist, but they haven't talked to their therapist about what they're not getting that's right, the concerns that they're having. I had a former client reach out to me and actually <laughs> a friend, the former, the, a friend who's a therapist who is also friends with this former client who originally referred her to me about a decade ago. Um, she said, hey, you know, like this person, will you take them back or would you be willing to work with one of their teenage children? Um, because, you know, like they're they're recently going through some major life events. And, um, you know, again, I'm pretty full on my clients. So it's, it's hard right now because it's all of us are trying to refer to each other because there's no spaces for anyone. But I do try to take on former clients because I've already built a relationship. And saying to, you know, this person like, hey, listen, I've only got about an hour a week I can take, so you can decide if you want to work with me or if you want your kids to. But um, I can do a family session with you, but family work is not really my expertise. So decide what it is that you would like to do. We have to recognize what our areas of strength are, what our areas of strength are not, and refer on appropriately. And again, typically, when I've, I've said that, that episode about you know, therapists and whatnot, most of my clients don't have a wrap-up session where we've accomplished all our goals. We, they just schedule less and less often and disappear. So when that happens, I never really know, oh gosh, was the person satisfied? So it's a little bit gratifying when clients come back to me later because it means, oh, okay, there must have been something good. <laughs> they, they know what I'm all about and they, they found that again. But that doesn't mean that I can't do something better. A therapist that I admire once said, what he likes to do in a session, sometimes randomly, especially if the session they've got a little extra time, or right at the end, he'll say, he'll draw a line on a piece of paper and he'll like, you know, between two points and he'll ask the person to say, hey, if the one end of this, the right side of this line was the perfect therapy session for us. And the left side was just the worst. Draw a line somewhere in the middle about where you think this one was. How good was this session? And then they'll draw a line somewhere and then He'll say, what would I have to do differently? Or what could we do differently to get it, you know, and he'll draw another line a little closer to perfection. And I like that it becomes a collaborative way for both of them to look at it and to say, hey, we could this, I'm not satisfied as your provider. I want to do this better for you. And I try to make sure at least every six weeks or so, I'm asking my clients, hey, are you getting what you need out of this? Like, is this, are we talking too much about, you know, 
hey, I might really like to talk about movies, or I might ask be asking you a lot about your romantic life, and you really might be wanting to talk more about spirituality. So if I'm pressing you too much about one thing, and we should be really spending more time on something else, because I do know that a lot of my clients will just let the therapist drive. And as much as I tell them, I want you to set the agenda, they won't always do that. So if you have an issue with what something that a person that you trust, a therapist is saying to you, please bring it up to them. Because hopefully that's your laboratory where you can give feedback to a person and not have them react, clap back in anger and say, you know, like that's a, it's hopefully a safe place. I had a, one of my students was saying they, they, unfortunately they met with their psychiatrist and this student is 18 years old, but he can't swallow pills. It's just really hard for him to do. And so he was saying to his uh, psychiatrist, I'd like to try this medication I had in the past, but I've heard they make it in a liquid form now. I'd like to try it in liquid. And the psychiatrist, and this is a newer psychiatrist to him, like literally laughed at him. He's like, you're 18 years old. You can't swallow a pill. To be judged by a person that you're going to for help and support, that's awful. And so again, that's why I feel so awful about the listener of this podcast who just had to feel like they were not being supported. And I, I did say to them in the email response, like that is, I, I don't see them as female by use of pronouns notwithstanding. Um, I just, you know, I keep them in a certain category with many of my other trans students. Like they're in this, they're something more. They're not just, you know, and again, especially students who are gender non-binary or whatever, um, or who are in their progression of how they're feeling week to week, day to day about what they want. Um, and I've had so many, and there are so many on those different areas. But knowing, and it is a verbal gymnastics sometimes where when there's other people in that student's life who don't know about their, their what their real, like their, they feel their more honest gender is. And so I always feel gross and guilty when I'm emailing back and forth about another, I had another student who I know they are gender non-binary, but I know their social studies teacher doesn't know that. So I'm using he, him, and he, and he, and all these you know emails, and it's just every time I feel like it's a little bit of a betrayal of that person. But that's what I'm doing to help protect um, in that case, because this person is not out. And so their comfort level, and, and even just when other kids are saying, oh, that so-and-so is waiting for you. And so like, instead of saying he, I'm like, yes, I just use their last name. That's our, I'm like, oh, you know, Davis is waiting. That's great. You know, I'll get that. Um, Another thing I wanted to touch on in today's episode has nothing to do with the things I've been talking about, but I'm just excited uh, because yesterday I had my first health issues group at the high school. And it's the kind of group I've been wanting to run for years. I have in the past in a couple of different high schools, I've run a family illness group and I loved doing those. And sometimes like at Conant High School where I worked, we had two of them. Um, because there were so many students who had a family member with cancer, a family member with an addiction issue, a little sibling with Down syndrome or whatnot. And the degree to which an illness in the family can impact someone, it's dramatic. Um, For some reason at the high school where I currently work, I tried running one and I had one for a few years, but then the numbers just dwindled. And, you know, I, I, I basically, I run my groups based on interest and need. So one of my students who's type one diabetic have been talking with me just about wishing there were other people to talk to about it. And we have a number of students in our school who are type one diabetic. And so I went to our school nurse and I said, hey, I'm, I'm willing to start a health issues group. If you think, I, I need at least five students 
who are going to agree to do it because sometimes different people won't be able to show up. So to have a group, I usually need at least three people showing up to make it an effective group. So at least five will say, yeah, I'm in. Then I'll get a group started. So the nurse uh, sent me an email with some of the people who are regulars there who have chronic illnesses. And then I asked some of my other students. Um, so yeah, I had about 10 kids express tepid interest and then they might try it. And so we had, we started out with five uh, this last week and it was just great to give these kids a place. One girl, again, apologizing, it was her first time doing any groups with me. It was my first contact with her and she has a very rare disorder that affects her, her joints and pain. And she was talking about how we were talking about, you know, researching things on the internet. And whether going on things like WebMD and whatnot, is it a benefit because you can find out, is this symptom normal for me? Or is it something that we get sucked down a rabbit hole of finding more symptoms? And then when we're finding these symptoms, then we're sometimes somatically, our brain can convince us that they're there, even if they're not. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before, I take Lexapro for somatic discomfort. Ever, I had a, a heart stent in 2018. And after my heart stent, I would get these phantom sort of chest pressure or discomfort or you know pressure in my arm my left arm or whatnot and sometimes I would go to the emergency room and they would check me out and everything was fine and clearly it was anxiety I I didn't have a heart attack but I was close and so I never want to well I started taking I take five milligrams of Lexapro every day and I don't get those those pressure those pains anymore those discomforts and that's great for me um but were they, was the pressure, was the discomfort real? Yeah, the discomfort was real. It was being created by my anxiety. So if you're a person who actually has a chronic health issue, it's so much harder to tell, is this thing something that I'm just making up in my head or is it a symptom of this disorder? And two of the, the participants in the group have very rare, like one in a million type disorders. And so even when they try to find things online, it's, it's so hard to know. Is, this, the person who's writing, is it their experience? Is that going to carry over to mine? And even their doctors are often somewhat ignorant about how things are going to present for them. And for this girl, she was talking about how when she looks online, the disease is progressive and seeing that her future could be very painful and her life could be significantly shortened and how upsetting and depressing that is. And that ability to open up and be in a room where there were other young people who got it to share. There was another girl who has cystic fibrosis and her saying, yeah, that was like, you know, early on, like knowing that she's like, especially when I was a little kid, that the life expectancy might only be 30 years old. And to say now, but the, the great thing is there is no new technology. There is hope. But to be able to be, to share your pain with other people, to share your discomfort and not be alone with it. That's why I love groups. So I currently run at the high school I work uh, an individual issues group, which is basically for anxiety, depression, anything that is you know coming internally, OCD, bipolar. Um, I run a family issues group. So anything that is family related that is causing a person tension and stress that makes it so that they, they can't want to attend class. And oddly, I work at a high school with about 1,500 kids. So I would guess probably 1,200 of them <laughs> could qualify for a family issues group. And yet that tends lately to be one of the smallest attended groups. I think it's not specific enough. And so I may decide whether I keep doing that one. I run a LGBTQA plus group, which is called Q. And that one's so populated, we generally have about 17, 18 kids showing up to it. So I'm probably gonna have to somehow split it into two groups. 
And then I run a, a trauma survivors group for the way we bill it is for participants who it's generally girls who wouldn't want cis heterosexual guys in the room to talk about things. I'm somehow grandfathered in and I run that with a co-leader. And I've run other groups over time. I used to have uh, a couple groups for kids who hated school. I ran an adopted students group. I, and I'm willing to do any anything for any topic, any issue that kids are facing and dealing with. We generally don't run groups for uh, addiction or for eating disorders because we find that they tend to, when, when one person relapses, it tends to pull down the other members of the group so they're more likely to relapse. Um, but that being said, we're open to running anything. But it just feels really good when you've given people a safe place to connect. And it was my first day back in the school after three weeks of working from home with my Achilles tendon surgery, so that was really nice. So I hope that whether it's my group members or my other students or my private practice clients, I hope any of them will give me the feedback if I could do better. And when I'm getting feedback, I'm like anyone else, my initial impulse might be to defend, to make excuses. But I'm at my best when I'm just receiving it. And I'm saying to myself, what this person is, that it took a lot. It took a lot for this person to share this thing with me. If it's someone online who's attacking Pause for Patrick because they think we have an agenda, instead of wanting to attack back and say, what's the matter with you? You got some issues. I said, I should say, this person has seen something that makes them skeptical. Let me take a breath, take a beat, and try to put myself in their shoes. Try to say that their concern is legitimate, even if they're incorrect and be open. And the more that I can be open, the better I can be, the better I can help. And I might be able to turn those people who are critics into my greatest advocates. So if you have a question or a thought about anything from giving your therapist feedback to, you know, groups I should start at my high school <laughs> to, um, you know, chronic illness and things that are hard to talk about, please email me at daniel.makler at live.com. If you like the podcast, please follow it, rate and review so you get the fresh new episodes whenever Mariska's up for making one. And until we talk again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Just remember, you are not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Pause for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.